we were supposed to start our Emotionally Healthy series today. And, and then because of shipping issues, we decided to, to postpone it for a week. And so next Sunday, March 20th, we'll start our Emotionally Healthy series. And then the Wednesday after that, we'll start our Emotionally Healthy class with our Belong groups. And so today, I have kind of a one-week sermon before we start the Emotionally Healthy series. So we're going to kind of consider this a, a prologue, all right? This is kind of a prelude. This is kind of moving us in to the Emotionally healthy series. And, and I just want to share a testimony. I want to start like this. Uh, I've been studying the emotionally healthy stuff for about nine months now, um, getting ready for this, taking the staff through it. Uh, but I've really been putting it into practice personally for about six weeks now. I've got a, a cohort of other leaders all over the country that Shannon and I are on Zoom calls with. We're sharing life together and holding one another accountable, and we're doing this emotionally healthy thing, right? Because the number one rule is the leader goes first. And, and so I wasn't going to take you guys through this if I wasn't willing to go through it. And I just want to give this testimony. Now, I've shared with the church before that uh, if I ever wake up in the middle of the night that I am doomed to be awake for two or three hours, right? And so I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll just be like, oh, no. And, you know, at first I'll try to be spiritual, and I'll be like, okay, God wants me to pray about something. So I'll pray for a little bit, but then I still can't go back to sleep. So then I'll start reading headlines on my phone, and I still can't go back to sleep. So then I'll turn the TV on, and maybe finally a few hours later I'll fall back asleep. And so I've shared this, and, and, and I've even, you know, basically said, well, I guess this is just how I am. This is how God has made me. When I wake up, I can't go back to sleep. You know, this is kind of my cross to bear. Can I tell you something? After five or six weeks of doing this emotionally healthy journey, I woke up, I forget if it was Monday night or Tuesday night, but it was like 1230 at night, and my dog, God bless her, woke me up. And so I took her outside, and she went to the bathroom. And I get back inside, and I lay down in bed, and I'm like, oh, no. I got like two or three hours coming. Can I tell you that I fell asleep immediately? I went right back to sleep. Now, why is that a testimony? Because these last few years that I've been rationalizing, that I couldn't go back to sleep just because that's how God made me, when in reality I had to come to terms with the fact that I couldn't go back to sleep, because I didn't have any peace or rest, because I wasn't emotionally healthy before the Lord, and I was allowing stress and pressure and anxiety and all of these things to build up on me. And after five or six weeks of doing this journey, I tell you what, man, this is life-changing. I can't wait to see what the next five or six weeks looks like for me, but I tell you what, I can't wait to see what these first five or six weeks looks like for our whole church and what it's going to look like when we all go on this emotionally healthy journey together. So I want to get into this. As a part of this journey, I read this story from Numbers 20, and, and I processed it together with our, our group on Zoom. And then like the very next day, it came up in our rooted Bible reading calendar. And I was like, okay, God, you're hitting me with this multiple times. This is what I want to share with the church as a prelude into Emotionally Healthy. And so the title of the sermon today is, What Did It Cost? And now you may know this about my family, but we are Marvel nerds, which is why we named our dog Wanda, okay? Um, 
But what, what did it cost? Avengers Infinity War, if you've seen the movie, Thanos is one of the baddest villains ever in comic book movies. And when he completes his dastardly plan, for a moment he has a vision in the soul realm. And in his vision in the soul realm, he sees his daughter as a little girl. And the little girl asks him, did you do it? And Thanos says, yes. And then she says, what did it cost? And Thanos says, everything. And of course, that line became a meme that uh, has spread around the internet the last few years, and, 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 and people have transformed it and, 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 and done different things with it. But today, I want to ask us the question, what did it cost? And maybe frighteningly like Thanos, some of us might say everything. But if you've got your notes with you, which you can find in your bulletin or on the church app, they're attached to this video on our website, they're attached to this audio in the podcast. Our big picture point today is actually a question, and I'm going to ask you this question to start the sermon, and I'm going to ask you this question to finish the sermon. What promised land have you sacrificed by doing things your way instead of God's way? What promised land have you sacrificed by doing things your way instead of God's way? What did it cost? You got something done, but what did it cost? And we're going to look at Numbers chapter 20. We're going to look at, at one of the stories from Moses' journey as the leader of the children of Israel. And man, Moses teaches us so much, right? I mean, there's so much we can learn both from Moses' successes and from his failures from his character strengths and his character weaknesses, from his relationship with God and his leadership. So much we can learn. And today we're going to learn from one of his failures, but we're going to see that he actually got it half right before he failed. Numbers chapter 20, let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there and was buried there. This was Moses' sister. There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had perished with our brothers when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Right? So the people, the nation that God has called Moses to lead are turning against him and complaining against him. And what are they doing? They're playing the blame game. What do I mean by the blame game? Well, what do we know? They're complaining that they're not in the promised land. Because the promise of the promised land was that it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. There would be an abundance. They would have all the water and the food, and it wouldn't just be food to sustain them. It would be, uh, it would be elegant food, right? It would be the pomegranates and the, the, the wine that comes from the vine and all of this stuff. It was going to be a wonderful place. And they're complaining to Moses, we're not in the promised land. We're in this wilderness. There's no pomegranates. There's no figs. There's no water to drink. You've brought us here to die. Well, whose fault was it that, there was, that they weren't in the promised land? It was theirs, right? We read the story last week in our rooted Bible reading. 
They sent spies into the promised land. And when the spies came back, 10 of them gave a bad report. And the nation believed the 10 instead of the 2. And they rebelled against God. And God said, fine, if that's the way you feel, you're not going to the promised land. It wasn't Moses' fault. They're playing the blame game. First thing I want to teach you today is this. The moment you take full responsibility for your present condition is the moment your life can begin to change. They weren't willing to take responsibility for their present condition. They were blaming it on somebody else. And we do this a lot too. If my parents had just loved me more, if I had just grown up in a different place, if I just had more money, if my boss just wasn't a jerk, if... Come on. The moment we take full responsibility for our present condition, as we move into this emotionally healthy journey, it's going to require us to take full responsibility for our present condition. It's kind of like having a baby tiger. All right, let's say you've got a baby tiger in your house and you're feeding the tiger. And so the baby tiger is super cute, right? And it really can't do that much damage, but it makes these little squeals and growls. And so you got little scraps of meat, and you throw little scraps of meat to this cute little baby tiger. Well, you just keep doing it week after week, month after month, year after year. But this baby tiger isn't a cute little baby tiger anymore. It is now a full-grown tiger living in your living room. And now it can do serious damage, and you're scared to death because it could kill you. Now it doesn't squeal really cute for food. Now it roars for food. And now you're not just throwing it little scraps of meat. You're going to the butcher shop and you're buying an entire side of beef. And you're going broke trying to feed this thing. And, and, and your entire life is now focused on what you can do to keep your tiger happy so that your tiger doesn't eat you. You say, what are you talking about, pastor? Every time... You blame your present condition on somebody else, you're feeding the baby tiger. And if you've been doing it for years, it's not a baby tiger anymore. It's now a full-grown tiger. And that blame game now controls your life. And you're no longer free to live the life God has called you to live. You now live under the control of the blame game that you've been playing. You guys tracking with me? Come on, we've got to take full responsibility for our present condition. So now you got Moses and Aaron. The entire nation is turned against them again because there's no water. What do they do? In verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing Moses and Aaron in the same situation that they were in years earlier. There was no water. The people were complaining, and so they went to God. But here's the interesting thing. The instructions changed. The instructions changed. Years earlier, we find it in Exodus 17, that when there was no water, God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather the people, and I want you to take your rod, and I want you to strike the rock. And when you strike the rock, water will flow out of it. 
And they did, and it worked. Now here we are years later. They're in the same scenario. They go before God, and God gives them different instructions. This time he says, I want you to gather the people, but I want you to speak to the rock. The instructions have changed. And in your notes it says this, you'll never know if the instructions have changed if you're not paying attention. You'll never know if the instructions have changed if you're not paying attention, right? You know, when it comes to to popular games, they will release a new edition of the game, and when they release a new edition, the instructions inside the game change. And I was reading up on Scrabble, right, one of the most famous board games. Uh, Scrabble was actually originally released in like 1938, right? So this was 90, almost 85, 90 years ago. And Scrabble, over these 85 years, has gone through several different ownerships. Different board game companies have purchased it. And whenever a different board game company would purchase it, they would re-release the game and they would update the rules. And generally, they would update the rules because people would complain or things didn't work right or the rules didn't fully make sense. And they were continually trying to tweak the game and, and to make the game better. But if you just buy the game and you don't pay attention to the instructions, you don't realize that the instructions have changed and you're playing the game wrong, right? The instructions had changed. And this is the part that Moses got right. In the midst of a crisis, what did he do? He went to the doorway of the tabernacle and threw himself down on his face before the Lord so that he could get the new instructions. This is part of the journey that we're going to go on, is we're going to learn to slow down before the Lord and get the instructions from Him so that we don't keep playing the game the way we've always played it. But if God has given us fresh instructions, that we would live by those fresh instructions. But we'll never know if we're not paying attention. So the question then is, why don't we slow down to hear these instructions? Well, there's probably lots of answers to this question. One could be religiosity. Come on, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, some of us might be like, you know what? I'm not really in this to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm just in this to check off the religious checklist. I come to church. I give my tithe. Don't expect anything else from me. So I don't want to slow down to hear from Jesus because that's not what I'm in it for. Maybe some of us, if we would be honest with ourselves, we would just say, listen, I don't want to change. And I know that if I slow down and listen to Jesus, he's going to tell me to change. And I don't want to change, so I'm not going to pay attention. But can I be transparent with you about one of the things I've learned about myself? Why don't I slow down to hear the instructions? Because sometimes it's too painful to slow down. Sometimes it's too painful to slow down. I want to read to you from another book that Pete Scazzaro has written, Pete Scazzaro being the author of all the emotionally healthy material. In this particular book, he's actually writing about 
that he was frustrated because he's doing these pastors' conferences. He's teaching pastors this emotionally healthy material. He's teaching them to, to slow down and, and, and to, to receive the instructions and to engage with God. And at the conferences, these pastors are like, yeah, this is awesome, Pete. This is amazing stuff. You're teaching truth here. You really nailed it. And then those pastors would go home and none of them would change. They wouldn't do anything different. And Pete Scazzaro was so frustrated that he actually went to see a therapist because he needed to get things right in himself because his frustration was causing him to not be healthy. And so he vented on his therapist and all these things. They don't listen. They don't change. They won't slow down. I don't get it. And this was his answer from his therapist. His therapist's name was Bob, by the way. He wrote this. Then Bob dropped the bombshell. They can't stop. If they stop, they'll die. They're terrified. They're frightened to death of what they'll see inside themselves if they slow down. Listen to this. The terror of stopping reveals the depth of their emptiness. The terror of stopping reveals the depth of their emptiness. Listen, life takes a toll. As a pastor, pastors by nature are generally driven, ambitious people. That's what makes us good at leading. But when you pastor, you take on trauma. You pour yourself into people, and then those people leave. And sometimes when they leave, they say awful stuff about you. And when enough people say enough awful stuff about you, you start to believe some of it. And there's trauma that builds up. And as that trauma builds up, it gets really painful to slow down. And so it's so much easier just to keep going. Just keep being busy. Just keep doing God's work. Just keep being a faithful servant. Because it's too painful to slow down. But it's costing us something. Your trauma might be different than my trauma but we all carry it. And sometimes we don't want to slow down because the emptiness is terrifying and the pain that we have to face is terrifying. That's why this journey is so important. This is what I'm learning. I'm facing the darkness. I'm learning to slow down and experience the pain and to deal with the trauma. But we've got to slow down and pay attention because the instructions keep changing. And we don't want to keep playing the game with yesterday's instructions. We need today's instructions. Why? We're about to find out why. Because the consequences of playing with yesterday's instructions are huge. Moses got the first part right. He slowed down and he received the instructions. But if you're like me and you grew up in the 80s with G.I. Joe cartoons on Saturday morning, you know that at the end of every G.I. Joe cartoon, they taught some moral life lesson with some little kids that learned a life skill from some character from G.I. Joe. And the kids would always say, thank you, now we know. And the character would answer by saying, and knowing is half the battle. And that is correct. Knowing is half the battle. But putting what you know into practice is the other half. 
And that's the half that Moses failed on. And that's the half that maybe some of us struggle with. Let's pick it up in verse 9. It says, so Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, listen now, you rebels. Shall we struck the rock twice with his rod? Is that what God told him to do? No, what was striking the rock? It was the old instructions. And water said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Moses was punished for striking the rock. What was his punishment? He didn't get to go to the promised land. He lost out on the promised land because he did things his way instead of doing things God's way. There was a punishment for striking the rock. Why? Why was the punishment so severe? People ask that a lot. Like, man, Moses was faithful for like 40 years in the wilderness and then 40 years of, of leading God's people through a different wilderness. And Moses was faithful his whole life. And now this one thing, he doesn't get to lead the people into the promised land? Well, first off, you got to recognize that leaders are held to a higher standard, right? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Why did Moses and Aaron get punished so severely? Number one, it was because of unbelief, right? What did God say? Because you have not believed me. In other translations, it says, because you did not trust me. Unbelief, it was a lack of trust. Moses didn't trust that if he spoke to the rock, water would come out. And because he didn't trust God, what did he do? He did what worked before. He knew that striking the rock worked before, so he did what worked before. Come on, as churches, this is, this is one of our weaknesses. We always go back to what worked before. Well, this is how we've always done it. This is what discipleship has always looked like. This is how we've always worshipped, right? We go back to what worked before. We read in our Rooted Bible reading this week in Numbers 21, we read about Nehushtan, right? What is Nehushtan? Well, we read about the serpents that were going through the encampment, biting people, and they were poisonous serpents, and people were dying. This was a plague that had come upon them as punishment. And God told Moses, make a serpent out of bronze, put it on the end of the pole, and hold it up, and anybody who looks up at the serpent will not die from their snake bites. Right? God gave them specific instructions for a specific moment. They did it, and it worked. But did you know this? Did you know that they kept that bronze serpent? Not just for a decade, not just for a hundred years. They kept that bronze serpent for a thousand years. Until the days of King Hezekiah. And in the days of King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18, it says by that point they had named this thing Nehushtan and they were worshiping it. And it was King Hezekiah during his 
uh, reforms, that he was breaking down all the, all the idols and the sacred pillars, that he destroyed this bronze serpent that had been made by Moses and they kept it for a thousand years. Why? Because they worshiped the thing that worked before instead of worshiping God. Come on, how many of us are trusting in something that worked before instead of trusting in God right now? The second reason was rebellion. Right? It says in Numbers 20 and verse 24, it says that Aaron will be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the sons of Israel. Why? Because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Their second reason why this punishment was so severe was rebellion or disobedience. And God said, because you did not consider me holy in front of the people. Other translations say, because you did not glorify me in front of the people. Listen, they didn't glorify God in the process. Why? Because Moses reacted out of an unhealthy emotional state rather than obeying God. Think about this. His sister had just died. It says that in verse 1, and we kind of brush by that, thinking it's disconnected, but it's connected. His sister had just died. And now he's got these people turning against him again, as they have over and over again. And the trauma has built up in his life. And in this key moment, rather than trusting in the right now instructions of God, he reacted out of an unhealthy emotional state. And he didn't just strike the rock once. He struck it twice. You see, the first time, he just had to hit it once. But this time, now he's angry. And what did he say to the people? You rebels! In his own rebellion, he was calling everybody else a rebel. And then he said, must we bring water out of this rock again? He didn't say God's going to bring you water out of the rock. He said, do we have to do this again? We got to take care of everything made himself a martyr, made himself a victim, and reacted out of an unhealthy emotional state instead of giving glory to God in the process. Now, here's the thing. Here's the most shocking part of this story and the part that maybe should really catch our attention. The most shocking part of this story is that in spite of his unbelief and his rebellion, Moses' ministry worked. Water came out of the rock. Enough water that a million people could get enough to drink and their livestock could get enough to drink. His ministry worked. Why is this so shocking? Because we live in a day and age where the effectiveness of a person's work or ministry is what we use to measure the health of their relationship with God. Right? We judge a person's emotional and spiritual health. We call it their anointing. That person is so anointed. That person is so powerful. We judge their right standing with God. We judge the depth of their relationship with God by the effectiveness of their ministry. And this is not the proper measure. Right, we look at somebody, man, their church is, is growing, man, people are getting saved, you know, they're adding services, they're, they're planting churches, man, this person must really be right with God. This person is so anointed. Listen, whether or not your ministry works has no bearing on whether you're right with God. Matthew chapter 7, what did Jesus say? 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Right? Jesus knew this was going to happen. There's people performing miracles, casting out demons, doing great ministry. And they don't know Jesus. Just read a story this week. There is a church up in Canada. The church is called the Meeting House. The pastor, I forget his name now. It's a, it's a unique, it's an interesting name. He took over the church back in 1997. So he'd been leading the church for 25 years. And in those 25 years that he's been leading the church, the church grew from a small church to a church of over 5,000 members. They planted 19 campuses all around the Toronto area. He wrote a book that became a best-selling book that ministered to tens of thousands of people and touched their hearts. He was a great teaching pastor. He had all of this going on. And the whole time that was going on, he had seduced a young woman that he was counseling to begin a sexual relationship with him. And he carried on that sexual relationship for a long period of time. And even when he broke it off, he never confessed it. He never admitted it to anybody. He kept it a secret and carried on like everything was fine. And everybody thought, man, this guy is so anointed. Why? Because his ministry is working. I want to declare today the fact that the ministry is working is not the proper measure to whether or not we are right with God. And as we move into this emotionally healthy journey, we have to come to the realization that just because we may be effective in our life, our career, our job, or even in ministry, that doesn't mean that we're healthy before God. Are you guys with me? When did the presentation of Jesus become more important than the person of Jesus? As pastors, we are so concerned about presenting Jesus in a proper way. But have we lost the person of Jesus? As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're so concerned with looking good in church and making sure we look like we have it all together because we think that's what Jesus wants. And so we're so consumed with properly presenting Jesus with this perfect outward appearance. But we've lost the person of Jesus. We've lost the person of Jesus. When did the presentation of Jesus become more important than the person of Jesus? And what do we learn from Moses? His ministry worked, but he was punished because he didn't glorify God in the process. What does that mean? That means that glorifying God in the process is more important than the outcome. Glorifying God in the process is more important than the outcome. So what is this emotionally healthy journey going to be about? It's going to be about learning how to glorify God in the process. And we'll trust the outcomes to God. Right? Will the church grow? I don't know. Will we win more people to Jesus? I don't know. Will we see more miracles? I don't know. We're going to trust those outcomes to God. What we're going to do is we're going to glorify him in the process. We're going to learn to slow down. and We're going to learn to get the instructions. That's the application of this. Simply, we slow down to receive the instructions, and then we follow those instructions. Now, that sounds incredibly simple as I share it from the stage, but in reality, it's incredibly difficult. 
We all struggle with it. So in your notes, I wrote it like this. What are we going to do? We learn to respond to the Holy Spirit rather than react out of unhealthy areas in our lives. We're going to learn to respond to the Holy Spirit rather than react out of unhealthy areas in our lives. Right? We all have these unhealthy areas where, where we react. Maybe when you get into an argument with your spouse, you just go silent and you get cold and distant. That's how you react. Maybe when you're in pain, you turn to compulsive behaviors and you look at pornography or you overeat or you overshop and spend money you don't have or you turn to alcohol or other drugs and you turn to these, uh, these uh, compulsive behaviors. Right? Maybe you just work yourself to the bone and, and, and you're just running yourself ragged because you're just so desperate to, to get people's approval. Right? There, there's so many ways that this thing can play itself out that we are reacting out of unhealthy areas in our lives instead of responding to the Holy Spirit. We lash out at people. We avoid conflict at all costs. We're so desperate for approval. We feel so empty and alone, even when we're around people. When something gets hard, we just quit and give up and walk away. We're so easily offended at something that somebody says, and we cut off a relationship. Are you guys following me? There's so many ways that we react out of the unhealthy areas in our lives. So let me have the worship team come back up today. And as I promised, we're going to finish with the same question we started with. What promised land have we sacrificed by doing things our way instead of God's way? We've been unwilling to slow down to receive the new instructions. We've been willing to slow down to make sure we have the person of Jesus, not just the presentation of Jesus. And without the right instructions, we find ourselves reacting out of unhealthy areas of our lives rather than responding to what the Holy Spirit has called us to do. So just like Gomorrah asked Thanos, what did it cost? Even if the ministry worked, even if you got the job done, even if you got the promotion at work, Even if things seem to be effective in your family, you got it done. But what did it cost? Did it cost you like it cost me, your peace and your rest, and you're not living in the peace and the rest that God promised? Did it cost you your joy, and you're not living in the joy? Did it cost you time, as Shannon has been sharing with us all day today? In Deuteronomy chapter 1, we read that it's an 11-day journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. It took them 40 years. An 11-day journey took them 40 years. Is it costing you time? What 11-day journeys are taking you 40 years? Because we keep reacting out of unhealthy areas of our lives. Maybe it's physical health and healing that we've cost ourselves. We've made ourselves sick because of the pace at which we're living. Have we cost ourselves emotional health? Have we lost out on the fulfillment of the abundant life that Jesus promised us? 
Have we lost out on breakthroughs, victories over spiritual strongholds? Have we lost relationships because of the way we have reacted out of our flesh? Have we missed open doors to ministry? Have we missed the opportunity to change lives? What did it cost you? This is a question I've been wrestling with now for the last two or three weeks, and it's one I'm still wrestling with. But I don't want to miss out on the promises of God for the sake of quote-unquote effective ministry. Just because the water's coming out of the rock doesn't mean I'm okay. I want to be okay. I want to be with the person of Jesus. I want to be following today's instructions. And as long as I'm doing that, I'll trust God for the outcomes. I just want to glorify Him. I'm learning, and I want to invite you to come learn with me. This is why I'm so passionate about asking you to join this emotionally healthy course and to take this journey together with us as a church and why I believe it's going to be so powerful and why I believe it's worth eight Sundays and eight Wednesday nights of your time to take this journey with us. Amen. Will you stand together with me? Holy Spirit, would you just begin to minister to our hearts? Would you cause us to wrestle with this question, Lord? What did it cost us? What did it cost us? Would you speak to us today through this ministry of the word? Would you begin to reveal areas in our lives that we need to take full responsibility for? That we would be ready to make changes. Would you call us back to you, Lord, the person? Would you call us back to you, the person? that we might sit with the person of Christ Jesus, the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of God the Father. Would you call us on this journey, Lord? Would you give us the courage to take the first step? Would you give us the courage to count the cost and realize what it's cost us and what it's going to take? But Lord, we humbly throw ourselves upon your grace. We don't want to miss the promises. Lord, you cause the water to flow. We're just going to trust you. Jesus, Jesus. Holy Spirit, minister to our hearts today as we lift you up in worship. We thank you for all of this in the mighty name of Jesus.